All right, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Come on, 1115. That's way better than 930, 100% better than 930. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, like Pastor Shane said, my name is Troy, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of our pastors here on staff, and I'm excited today. I'm, I'm pumped up for week number two in our Calling Out the Champion series, but before we go there, I uh, just want to take some time to celebrate what God's doing in our church. First of all, can we give it up for my wife, Rachel, this morning? Come on, somebody. Bring in the fire in the host. My gosh, I was ready to just raise my hand, head out, head out for lunch. Like she was making altar calls were coming. So, uh, but in this champion series, I just want you to know that that she is the champion in our house. She's a champion mom. She's a champion leader in the business community. Champion wife. And so, I just want to to, to love on you and honor you this morning for for how amazing you are, babe. Love you, love you. And I just want to. I want to piggyback is what Rachel said about our pastors. You know, they're down in Florida just sewing in to churches. And man, the influence that our pastors have, like it's just, is insane. The calling on their life, the leadership. And I know they, they love you so much, church. They love you. They love this church and they love this city. And so we are blessed. And it is an honor to be on Pastor Shane's stage this morning, bringing a word. But can we show some love to our pastors this morning? Come on, church. Come on. It's so good. So good. Well, I want to celebrate, too, what God did just this past week at ARC Conference. Who was at ARC Conference? Anybody here? Bunch of hands here. Come on. ARC was amazing. You know, we were, we were talking a lot about it leading up uh, in the past few weeks, but ARC Conference was a time when 700, actually over 700 leaders and pastors and individuals came together uh, to do worship and to love on each other, to be encouraged. Uh, it happened down at Relate Church in Surrey. And it was just, it was so cool to see God's presence move. And, and it, the, the atmosphere was electric. Like if you were there, it was incredible. And I've said this multiple times, but it is, it is one of the highlights of my entire year. And so I was just so proud of our dream team that showed up and served people and loved people. Between th I know 30 and 40 people from Resonate Church on our dream team showed up took time off of work to love people, to create space for people, to create an atmosphere where they could receive from God. So can we give it up for our dream team this morning? Come on. That's a big, that's a big ask. And I just love to see the influence of our church expanding, the leadership in our church expanding. Why? Because we're serving. We're grabbing a towel and saying, how can I serve? Well, we're rolling into week number two of our Calling Out a Champion series and you know, last summer, we, we, we did a staycation series. Maybe you were around for that, where we, Pastor Shane, he preached on a number of different, different topics and different messages, but we kind of landed in this one lane around calling out a champion. And he was talking about the mindset of a champion and the fight of a champion. And what was interesting at that time was that that message series actually gained us some traction in the summer months. And rarely in summer do churches grow. Usually all y'all are away on vacation, which is amazing. But we saw some real traction as that series resonated with your heart. And so what we decided to do is we decided, let's bring that back again, kind of a bit of a, bit of a version number two this spring. And so last week, if you remember, Pastor Shane, he talked about, he talked about how being small is not safe. Like being small is actually the first step to pride. And he talked about Saul, how Saul, so he made that image to himself. And Pastor Shane challenged us to say, are there any places in your life where you're making an image to yourself? So you glorify yourself. And then he talked about, remember that wall? And he said, by my God, I can leap over this wall. With God's help, I can get over this wall. And really, church, this is a significant message series for us. Because I believe what God wants to do through your life 
is far greater than you've ever experienced up until this date. What God wants to do through your life in the days remaining you have on this planet. I'm not talking about what God should have done or could have done or would have done in your life. I'm talking about a forward-thinking mindset. God wants to do something in your life that is far greater than you could even believe right now in this moment. And by the power of the Spirit within you to reach a city and to reach a nation like we just saw today, we are reaching to a nation of Canada at that art conference and then to reach out and to touch the world. Well, today, what I want to do is I want to unpack a story in the Old Testament. I want to go back to, to, to a small book in the Bible. It's the book of Nehemiah, and it's written by Nehemiah himself. And what I want to do today is I want to unpack a little bit. He, he's a champion in the faith. Like, this guy does some incredible things for God. He, he builds a wall. And I don't know if you've been around church for any length of time. Um, I mean, I grew up in church. I tend to know the end of a lot of Bible stories. I don't know if you're like me, but like, I don't know really what happened in the middle much, but I know that, you know, I know that Nehemiah was a good guy and he built a wall. And that's kind of what I knew. And even coming into this week, that's, that's what I knew about the story. And so as I dug in, I just realized like, if Nehemiah was here, he'd be pretty, pretty choked at the limited knowledge I have of his story. You know, it's like if I wrote a a book called um, How I Potty Trained My Kids. And called the one and, ones and twos of potty training your kids. Um, see what I did there? The ones and twos, if you caught that. Anyways, but it's a best, you know, New York best time seller, right? You've got the book. I gave, I gave you a copy. I'm like, here, check this book out. And you skimmed it over. You read it. And, uh, and I asked you, I said, hey, tell me a little bit, of, like, what, what got you in this book? Like, was it good? Like, tell me a little bit about it. And you're like, well, you know, uh, you went and bought candies for the kids. And then you just kind of, you potty trained them. And they were good to go. They could all use the toilet. And I'd be like... I'd be like, no, I'm like, there's more to the story. Did you read chapter two? Like, what about chapter two? Did you read that when, when, when one of my kids wet the bed four times in one night? Like, literally in a three-hour time period, in the middle of the night, more liquid came out of them than they had consumed all week long. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. And you know what you did, is you just laid that clean towel on top every time, that clean towel that you know, don't judge me, you know you did that. Back to sleep, clean towel on top. But what about chapter four? Like, of course they got potty trained, but don't you know chapter four? That's when I was, I was standing alone in Pacific Center Mall, downtown Vancouver, all three of my kids on a Saturday in the food court. And I look over and one of them has a number two tinkling out of his leg onto the floor of the food courts. And I got to take all three kids and I got to pile them into the public men's washroom while I clean up a crime scene in there. And my daughter's practically sitting in the men's urinal while I'm doing that. Like, didn't you read chapter four, right? But so often, so often, we know the end of the story. But man, Nehemiah's like, guys, come on. There's some things that happen along the way. Sure, spoiler alert, the wall gets built. The wall gets built. But what did he do along the way? What can we learn from him today as a champion of the faith while he built this wall? A little bit of context for you. Uh, The story of Nehemiah lands in and around 450 BC. So 450 years before Christ arrives on the planet. And there's a nation of Israel. It's God's chosen people, uh, his promised people. And the nation's pretty much been just obliterated. Like nations have come in, taken them over. The Babylonians took them over. Then the Persians came in and took over the battle. Like it was just the world powers pretty much reduced them down to almost nothing. The Israelites were literally on the verge of non-existence anymore, which is crazy to think. Like God's chosen people, he's had this covenant with them, and they almost don't exist. They're almost just a part of the history books. And so Nehemiah, 
He was born to, to, to his, in his family in that area, and he was an Israelite. But he was actually serving in the king of Persia at the time. He was serving in his courts. And so he grew in influence, and he actually made his way all the way up to becoming a cupbearer for the king. And maybe you've heard that term before, cupbearer. But what it means is not just, you know, he didn't just test the wine and hand it to the king to make sure that he was safe. He actually was almost like a confidant for the king. So they were in daily discussions. He was, it was almost like he was in council with the king on a daily basis. So that's where Nehemiah, that's where we find him here in Nehemiah chapter 1, where we pick up the story. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, now the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekliah, he was, reading, he was writing this in first person. Now it happened in the month of Chilzev in the, seventh, uh, the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and, con- and concerning Jerusalem, which was the capital city uh, for them. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Interesting, he uses that word shame to describe a nation that's been pummeled. Their walls are torn down, right? The, to think about what that meant for them, like the, the identity, the safety, the future for their children that existed in that broken down city. They're, they're in shame right now. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, it says, and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I mourned. I wept and I mourned for days. Maybe you've been in a similar situation in your life where in a moment, God broke your heart for something. Like in that moment, God broke Nehemiah's heart for his city. And how about you? Maybe it was, maybe it's recently God stirred something up inside of you. Maybe a long time ago, I had a conversation with a friend recently who told me that God put a desire in his heart to be a pastor. But you know what? It's been years have gone by and he still remembers that moment that God placed something in his life. And he's a hockey coach right now. So he's actually on that journey but has God ever spoke to you in a moment, called that champion of you, stirred in your heart something? For me, that happened back in 2016. My wife, my wife and I, Rachel, and our kids were from Kelowna. And we were in Kelowna, and I met a pastor named Shane and his wife, Rachel. Our pastor's randomly in Kelowna. It's a long story. I can't get into it this morning. But he was in my backyard, and he was telling me about a church that he believed God wanted him to plant. And that was a church for people far from God, a church where you didn't have to believe what we believe here to find belonging here. A church where you didn't have to behave a certain way, smell a certain way, look a certain way to be able to show up on a Sunday, walk through those doors and find belonging and connection and community. That was my moment. That was my moment where God spoke to my heart. So Nehemiah, he's got this call from God. His heart's breaking for his city. So what does he do? So he comes up against his first opposition. This is the first thing that stands in the way of Nehemiah going to do something great for God, going to build this wall. At the end of verse number one, it says this. It's the last line in the chapter. It says, now I was cupbearer to the king. So God's called him to go build this wall, go do something great, but he realizes that the position he's currently standing in isn't even close to that. And how often in our lives do we limit God to what he can do through us by our current position? By where you're currently standing today, your job, your family, where you live, the current situation you're in, you allow that to be the lid as to what God can do in your life. No, for Nehemiah, he said, you know, I got this call to do something great, but I'm a cupbearer. And for me, back in 2016, standing in my backyard, 
I'm like, God's stirring something in my heart. Like, I want to go, go help and plant this church. But right now, I'm a regional manager at a mobile storage company. And maybe for you today, maybe, you know, you would say, you know, I got called, God's calling me to do something great. I, I feel burning inside of me, but I'm a, I'm a high school teacher at a high school. Maybe you say, I'm an engineer at an engineering firm. Maybe you say, I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a stay-at-home dad. You look at the position you're in right now, and through that lens, we limit God to what he can do. So what does Nehemiah do? He's not even close to where he needs to be. He, he's the cupbearer for the king. Here's what he does. So he goes in chapter 2, and four months later, so for any of you who feel like calling from God and, and it just hasn't, you haven't jumped right into it, you know, Nehemiah should be an encouragement to us. It took him four months to now get to this point where he's going to approach the king and ask permission to go and build this wall. So here we go in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, King Antaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. So he's just doing his job. He's given the king the wine. And the king said to me, or so I've been, I had not been sad in his presence up until this point. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing as you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Doesn't that just resonate with some of us today, how afraid we can be in those moments, right? We want to take a step out of our comfort zone, but we're afraid to do so. Nehemiah is so vulnerable, right? Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why? Should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. It goes on in that chapter to say that, the, that not only did the king release him to go out, Give him full, say, you know what, you got my authority, you, got, you can go and do this thing. He also sent troops with him. He, he gave him uh, uh, safe passage to Jerusalem. He gave them lumber to use to build the wall. So at this point, Nehemiah's got to be feeling pretty good, right? Like, okay, I've got the favor of the king. I've got God calling me to do something, right? Opposition number one, I, I'm kind of past that and through that, right? So he shows up on the scene, and, and, and there's a couple guys that show up. So he, he's pulling his team together to build this wall, and a couple guys show up, and their names are Tobala, no, Sanballat, and Tobiah. Unfortunate names, I know, probably hit names back in the day. Everyone was naming their kids Sanballat and Tobiah. But there's these two guys that they arrive on the scene, and they don't like what Nehemiah's doing. They don't like the fact that he's come in to help the city of the, the people of Israel. He doesn't like that he's coming to rebuild these walls. And so what they start to do is they start hurling some insults his way. And I've, I've taken a little, a short collection of these insults. And you got to keep in mind, this is 450 BC, right? So, I mean, these are going to feel a little bit weak when I talk about them, right? You got to understand, like, this is, this is a major diss right now that's coming. Like, major, major shade that they're casting. And so here's the first one. So, Sam Bell, he comes out of the gate first, right? I think he's pretty, pretty, pretty strong. He comes out, and here's what he says, Nehemiah 2.19. What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? That's it. It's all that he had. That was, that was his way of insulting what they were doing. Then, then he's like, okay, I'm going to up my game. Here it comes. What are these feeble Jews doing? 
Will they restore it for their, themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? So he kind of takes this, this weird, like, asking questions approach. I don't really understand where he's coming out with that. But then, but then Tobiah, he comes over the top. Like, this guy, straight out of his parents' basement, lobs this one out. And he says, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Come on. That's some real shade right there. But come on, church, how often do we listen to the opinions of others more than we listen to the voice of God? How often God's called us to do something great. He's called out the champion in you this morning. Yet we allow the voice of others in our life, the opinions of others, or the maybe opinions, right? I don't even know if that's what you think yet, but I'm worried about what you might think. You know, Rachel and I, we're a little bit new to this pastoring game. Like, it's only been a couple years now, and, and we still get into environments and times when we're with friends or with people we don't know. And, and sure enough, the you know, question comes up, what do, you, what do you do for work? And I can kind of read a room pretty good at this point. I can kind of read you while I'm talking to you. But I still get surprised all the time when I'm like, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And you can just see judgment. And you can just see they don't know what to do with that. And usually what I get, here's what I get from them. I get a little tap on their shoulder and like, ha, ah, that's so good of you. And they change the subject immediately. But on my worst days... I allow the opinions of others and what they say about me and to me. I've got, I'm a people pleaser. I want people to like me. And, and the problem with that is that God's calling us to do something big and brave, yet we allow the opinions of others to distract us in what we're doing. And for some of you here today, you might feel like the furthest thing from a champion in your faith. You might feel like, you know, for some of you here today, you, may, you might even have close friends and family members who don't even know that you go to church. Have no clue. People at your workplace that have no idea that you're a Christian. And what I want to encourage you with today and challenge you with is that somebody in your world this week needs to know. They need to know. You know what, you know what worried me for years? is I thought, that, I thought that, that my testimony or telling somebody about my faith it was all about me telling them what they should do, what I'm doing, what they shouldn't be doing. I thought that that's what my testimony was. And then I realized, I didn't realize, actually I was taught this, that we're just supposed to be witnesses, right? And what does a witness do is we just tell our side of the story. So all you got to do is just say, here's what God's doing in my life. How can you argue with that? How can you argue with what God is doing in your life? You don't need to tell somebody what they need to do. You just need to tell somebody this week what God has done. Tell them about your church. The, the community that you found, the safeness you found, the security, the people that are fighting for you. I encourage you this week, somebody in your, you know who, you might know who that is right now. There might be a, a face in your mind you know who needs to hear your testimony this week. So we have the current position that you find yourself in as being in opposition. And then we've got the opinions of others, what other people say and what other people think as being the second opposition. Well, from here, it turns on just into a full-blown attack. So Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they're back now, but they're back with an army. So they go ahead, they pull an army together to go fight Nehemiah and his people. So we pick up the story. So, so the, the third thing is, is just a full-blown attack of the enemy. And here's where it comes in Nehemiah 4, verse 7. It says, but when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, so literally all of these people, all the surrounding nations, heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem and that the repairing was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. 
And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And Nehemiah says, and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So I don't know, this story is starting to get good, right? We've got like an army that's coming at them. An army that's about to start fighting them. And I don't know about you, but I love, like I love watching a good fight scene in a movie. Like a good fight scene. Come on, somebody. Jordy, good fight scene. Even some UFC from time to time. Maybe a bit controversial. I don't know. Some fist, you know. I don't know if you like that hand-to-hand combat thing, but some boxing from time to time. You know, I love watching a good fight. And I know what you're doing already. You know, I'm talking about fights. And you're kind of eyeing me up a little bit, being like, ah, Pastor Troy, he, he's been in a few tussles in his day. He's been in him. He's gone to fisticuffs a couple times in his day for sure. And you know, to be honest, I never have. I've never been in a fight in my life, although one time I was, ooh, I was close. It was real, real close. What happened is I was young and dumb, and we were a bunch of buddies. We were in a car in Kelowna, uh, and we were pulling up downtown to this, this parking spot outside of this nightclub that I wasn't going to, promise. Um, anyways, it was in front of this nightclub, and, and so we were going up to this, to this parking stall, and, and someone else was trying to get into the stall, and so we... Uh, you know, a couple of my buddies, they had some bigger mouths, and they uh, said some things, and a bit of a verbal altercation between this other car and us. And so we ended up giving them the stall, pulled around the block, and parked. Uh, and, you know, parked the car. And when we pulled around the corner and parked, one of our friends was there on the side of the road, and one of these guys had come from the car and was kind of getting in another verbal altercation with him. And little did we know that one of the girls from that vehicle, she had headed into the club uh, and, and told some people, and so we're in the car. We pull up and see our buddy get into, you know, this, this talking match with this guy. And all of a sudden, five guys come peeling around the corner, around the block corner from this club. And so I'm looking at my buddies, and we're like, well, it, it's go time. It's go time. So, so all of us, we all pile out of the car. And by all of us, I mean all my buddies piled out of the car. What I did is I actually dove headfirst into the driver's seat, spun around, slammed it into reverse, and drived in reverse two blocks as fast as I could to get away from them. True story. You know, so your pastor ain't a fighter, but I drive a mean getaway car, 100%. You need a getaway car, I will drive it forward in reverse. I will drive it. But maybe it's not an army for you today that's attacking you. You know, maybe you're not struggling with your current position. Maybe you're not struggling even with the opinions of others. You're okay with that. But I can promise you this, that there is an enemy that is at war for your soul every single day. The devil will attack you in every way possible to keep you small, to keep you stagnant, believing that you're small, that you, you, you can't do anything for God, that you're not qualified enough, you're not equipped enough. You're not smart enough. You haven't been serving Jesus long enough. You're not, you didn't have a good enough week. The devil will constantly bring those things up in your life to keep you small and to keep you stationary. And you know what? I don't want to over-spiritualize things. Like, I hate it when people are always just, like, over-spiritualizing. But you know what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to under-spiritualize what's actually going on in certain situations and the fight that we're in for our families and for our city and for this nation. I believe that God is calling us to something great. And you know what I believe? The devil, I believe that he doesn't even, he doesn't even care that you believe in Christ. He doesn't even necessarily care that you're, you're a Christian. But what he wants to do is he wants to lie to you and keep you small so you don't go to heaven and bring anybody with you. He wants you to be stagnant, and he will constantly, constantly lie. And so here's what Nehemiah does. He's got these troops that are coming at them. Here's what he does. It says, Nehemiah 4.16, he says, From that day on... Half of my servants, 
worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand, labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. Each of them build, uh, each, and each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. What an incredible picture this is of someone at the wall, one hand with a stone building the wall, the other hand holding a sword ready to fight. You know, one person standing, not facing the enemy, but standing there building a wall while that next person's got their back with a shield and a sword drawn ready for them. And I was reading this this week. I love that picture and that imagery was so cool because I thought about our Resonate groups. You know, two weeks ago, we launched our Resonate groups. And if you weren't here, we'd love for you to sign up online or in the lobby you know, we believe in doing life together in groups. But I just had this picture of what we do in our small groups, that I've got this group of people with me in my life who know me, who know behind, see behind the mask. And while I'm building a marriage, while I'm building and fighting for my marriage, I know i got someone on my back with a shield and a weapon fighting for me in prayer with my back. While I'm raising my kids and in the throes of parenting and struggling with sleep and to get it all together, I know i got someone, i got a whole group at my back standing there with a sword and a shield fighting for me. When I lose my job, when I lose my job and I'm struggling to put food on the table, Someone in my world knows that. And I got, a, I got a group standing behind me with a sword and with a shield ready to fight for me and for my kids and to bring a meal over to my house. What an incredible picture that is of our Resonate groups. You know, two Sundays ago, that was not just an invitation to you to fill your calendar with another event or another meeting. I believe with all my heart that there, that there is life and death on the line if we are not in a group of people who know us, who see behind the mask and who can fight and stand in the gap for us. So what do we do with all of this? Like at this point, you're like, okay, well, you've given us all these battles, all these trials that Nehemiah has been through. Like where do we come out of this? What do we do with all this? And you know, part of me wants to just look at the obvious parts of the story, right? You know, chapter one, Nehemiah, it took bravery for him, right? To leave a comfortable role in the kingdom and to go out and to build this wall, right? The bravery to stand before the king, make that request. And, and I think sometimes I'm like, Okay, well, maybe all you need to do today is write down in your booklet is just go be more brave. You want God to call you to the next level? Just, just go be more brave. You know, or maybe, you know, the area when we come to this part where there's the, the opinions getting thrown out there, right? The disses and, and the shade being cast. You know, well, maybe, maybe it's just a little bit of determination we need. You know, Nehemiah was determined to go and to not listen to the naysayers, but actually go and build the wall. So, you know, we could take that practical piece out for us today and just say, you know what? Write it down. Take it away. Just go be a little more determined to go do something for God. Or maybe, you know, when that army's attacking, you know, maybe you're feeling like that this morning, that the army's attacking. And, you know, I can just tell you, have a better plan for your life. Have a more strategic plan. Have someone fighting and someone building. Like, just, just, just have, have a family meeting. Sit down and strategize a better plan and how you can be used by God. But what I want to do this morning so I actually want to circle back to the text again and go back to chapter number one. And I want to learn something from Nehemiah that we didn't see the first time on this read-through. So Nehemiah, he hears about the wall, right? He hears about it being torn down. It says, as soon as he heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And then it says this, next line. 
and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. Before he did anything, before he approached the king, before he built a wall, he got on his face before God and desperately pleaded, saying, I cannot do this on my own. He spends five verses after that pleading with God, saying, God, I can't do this on my own. Well, what does he do in front of the king? I mean, we just read what he did in front of the king. Now, the king said to me, what are you requesting? We just read this. What are you requesting? And I, I, I left out this one line in the first time we read it through on purpose, because it said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. So that's quietly under, he's in, he's in a, a conversation with the king. You know, how did that prayer happen? It would have happened quietly, silently, in his heart, under his breath. He prayed to the God of heaven. When he was afraid to step out, he prayed to the God of heaven. You know, what did he do when Tobiah was, 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 was calling him out? You know, the fox goes up on a wall, he will break their stone wall. Here's, what, here's the very next line, Nehemiah calls out to God, Hear, O God. O oh, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Come on, he's not even nice about that prayer. He's calling it out on the enemy. And God can handle that prayer. That is unfiltered. That is raw. That is a real prayer. And you know what? You can pray that prayer today. God doesn't get offended by you coming at him real. And lastly, when this army is approaching... You know, we read that he set a guard day and night, right? But what we didn't read is the first section of that where it said, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. You know, as I studied the story, looking for those nuggets, looking for that thread, like what was it about Nehemiah's life? Why was this guy a champion in the faith? You know what I, you know what I realized? Is that being a champion isn't the end goal. Like, it's not a status that we're striving towards. It's actually, we find a champion status in the journey along the way. That's why when I say that, that, that God's calling a champion out of you this morning, that you can believe that because you are on that journey. But, you know, a champion status does not happen at the finish line with arms raised, on a stage, in the lights. Where a champion is forged is in the quiet times between just you and God on our knees saying, God, I desperately need you and I cannot do this. God's calling a champion out in someone here this morning. But where that begins, that begins all in, on our knees in all out surrender towards God. The power of prayer. Nehemiah shows us this all through. He had multiple more prayers. In a short book, he had something like 13 or 14 times he prayed in this short book because he realized he could not do this on his own. I'm preaching to somebody today. You know you can't do it on your own. And you've tried hard on your own. You've been, you've been laboring on that wall by yourself. And God's saying today, you, know, you need to leave that at my feet. There's a story of a gentleman in our church. He's a, a single dad. He gave me permission to share part of his story. About a couple years ago, he would have been the last person that would have showed up to a church service. He would, he would say this himself. He would be the last person to walk through those doors. And I can tell you right now, absolutely. From his story, he would be the last person to show up. About nine years ago, him and his girlfriend at the time, uh, they had a baby, a little boy. And uh, two years, the boy was two years old, and there was 
uh, a lot of turmoil in the house. Things weren't going well. Uh, there were some big problems that were happening in the home, and the ministry came and took their son. And you can imagine as a parent, that would be you know, one of the toughest days of your life to have your son taken from you. But over the next year, he did every single thing he could possibly do to get his son back. Went to all the classes, all the courses, cleaned up his life. And as the mom at the time, she actually, they ended up separating and, and they weren't together. And that, that didn't stop him. He just kept on pursuing his son. And after a year of his son being in foster care, he was returned back to his dad. And about six years later, he ends up showing up with his son at Resonate Church because of the persistent invitation of a young member of our church. I mean a persistent invitation to come to church. So he shows up last spring, shows up with his son. He comes to church a few times, kind of gets connected in with the community a little bit, hearing from God. Like, this is all new to him, all new, right? And on August the 26th, 2018, he raised his hand to make a decision to follow Jesus. And two weeks later, he comes up to me two weeks later, and he's got tears in his eyes, and he's looking at me, and he said, he said, Pastor Troy, he said, someone was praying for me. I said, well, I said, what do you mean? What do you mean someone? Sure, what do you mean someone's praying for you? He said, the couple, the foster parents of my son from the age of two to three for the last six years have prayed every single day that I would meet Jesus. The power of prayer. That lady and that husband on their knees in prayer with no lights on them. No one was patting them on the back. They were just in a quiet place before God, calling out to him, saying, God, we need a miracle in this man's life. I got to meet that couple when he got baptized just a little while ago and celebrate with them the answer prayer and the miracle. Church, we're calling the champion in you this morning. God wants to call the champion out of you, but it is not the end goal. It is today in the journey. And maybe you're here today and you look at your current position, you look at your job, you look at your marital status, you look at the kids you have, where you live, and you say, there's just no way, there's no way God could use me to do more. I'm, I'm maxed. I am maxed. You know what I believe today? I believe that God, in the next few moments, we're going to go into a time of worship, and I believe that God can give you a fresh vision to see into the future, far past what you ever even dreamed that you could do today. Maybe you're here today, and you let the opinions of others things that have been spoken over your life over the years. You let those things keep you from stepping into all that God has for you because he's got more. He's got way more. Maybe that's you here today. And my prayer is that, you, that God will just stir up a courage inside of you to break past those opinions and to pursue all that he has for your life. And maybe you're here and you just feel like you're just in all-out attack mode. You feel like constantly your marriage is being attacked, your kids are being attacked. Today, you just need to take everything that's going on in your life and you just need to lay that before God and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. You know, as we go into this song of worship, maybe, maybe prayer is something that's new to you. Maybe when I say, you know, we just start on our knees in prayer, you're like, I don't, I don't even know how to do that or what I should say or what I should do. I love Nehemiah. He gives us three, three ways of doing it, right? One is like, just, just pour it out to God. Just, just let him have it all. Just unload today. Just let him have everything. Maybe it's maybe today it'd be more comfortable for the first time just quietly speaking it under your breath like you did in front of the king, right? Just in your heart. Or maybe today it just needs to get a bit messy. Maybe you just need to be like, this is just the real me. This is what's going on. This is how I feel. God can handle your harsh prayers. He can handle it. So as we go to worship today, I would, my prayer for you, I'm just going to pray right now. Would you all stand for a moment? 
God, thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives right now. God, I believe that you are calling somebody in this room to the next level, God. You see something in them that they don't even see. Break down walls in Jesus' name. Bring freedom in Jesus' name as we worship you. Come on, church, let's all sing together this morning. Let's worship God. Let's pray. Let's give him our best. Come on.
church, sing that one more time. Sing that one more time. I'm not enough. bow your heads and close your eyes for a quick moment maybe you're here today and you haven't yet taken that first step into a relationship with Jesus and I want to give you an opportunity today right now to do that maybe you're here today and you at one time were close to God now you find yourself a long ways away not just a bit of sin in your life like I'm talking you know that you're far from God and you need to come back today if that's you in the room you want to take that next step in a relationship with Jesus. Can I ask you to do something this morning? I want you to slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you down to the front. Not at all. This is a private moment between you and God. But if you want to take that next step, I just want to include you in a prayer today. So would you do that all over the room? Would you just slip your hand up today if that's you? Say, Pastor, include me in that prayer today. All over the room. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Let's give you another moment. God, speak into your heart today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. If you raised your hand this morning, or maybe you didn't, but in your heart you wanted to, would you just repeat this prayer after me? Come on, church. Repeat this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, today I give you my life, my full surrender. I choose to follow you. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. For to forgive my sins. God, I give you my life today. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said a good amen. Amen. Come on, church. Can we put our hands together for those that made that decision today? Come on. Thank you, God.